Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every week. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's Friday afternoon. We're heading into another weekend and I think uh, here in the West it's going to be pretty good because we've had a bit of rain during the week and this is great for stimulating some fantastic growth in the garden and really probably refreshing things after what's been a very hot dry summer. Now today I will be answering your questions. That's my primary purpose of being here. So grab yourself a drink, sit back. I hope you enjoy. I hope some of the questions that I'm answering relate to your garden, but also make sure you let us know what your garden questions are. Now this is going to be our last session on a Friday evening. In fact, we move to Mondays at 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time as of next week. So it's all going to change and it'll be Mondays when we'll be answering all of your questions. For the top five questions today, I will have some fabulous seeds from our friends again at uh, Mr. Fothergill Seeds. They do a great job in looking after us and making sure that you've got seeds to be planting in your gardens. Now, remember, when you ask your questions, tell us where you're from, what state, what suburb or town. Uh, Make sure that you also, if you like one of the questions or one of the answers that we've put forward, like it. Make sure you let all your friends know. It's really what it's all about. Now, a bit later on, I'll show you a couple of my favourite plants. I've just grabbed them out of my garden, actually. They're a little bit different, two vastly different plants. One a native and one, well, it's probably, its fruit would be the um, probably most drunk drink in the world, I would think. If it's not if it's not tea, uh, it's certainly this plant. So you can probably guess what it is. I just ripped a couple of branches off my garden plants and I'll tell you how to grow them a bit later on. Let's kick into things straight away. Lyle, I'm not sure where you're from, Lyle. First question, need to know where you are. So please let us know. You've got a Trixie Nectarine. It's a mini and it's grown three vertical runners that have shot up in the two months since you fertilised it. Should these runners be pruned off or should they be kept? Now, this is a great question. It really is, Lyle. This relates to just about everybody out there. So these growths are coming off the roots or the understock, the rootstock of the plant. And if left, they will overtake and your your, uh, Trixie nectarine will disappear and the rootstock will take off. And what the rootstock is, is a variety that's not very tasty. So it's very vigorous, but it's certainly not very tasty. So you don't want it. Do you prune them off? The answer is no, don't prune them. Grab them and pull them away. So pull them away from the stem and you should get a bit of a tear when you pull it away. And the idea is that you're going to blind the buds so there won't be any growth going on. Um, You won't get any regrowth. And this is really important. When you cut it, 
you literally stimulate new buds. You'll get at least four new buds produce growth and suddenly you've got four suckers to deal with in six or 12 months' time. So pull them away and that will solve that problem. I hope that helps, Lyle. Jill is in the south coast of New South Wales. Uh, do I know what is the cause of this on my Viburnum hedge? Now, you can see the photo there on the right, on my right-hand side. Um, it is a very interesting problem, this one. It's my left-hand side. Uh, it's a very interesting problem. This is a really, really severe case of red spider mite, or sometimes it's known as two-spotted mite. Now, these mites, uh, they can ravage a plant and they love viburnums. They love their big, fleshy leaves. So when you're in a situation where you've got this, there's pretty much only two things you can do. One is either spray them, and there are some miticides you can buy from your local garden centre, but the ideal scenario is to actually get some predatory mites. And if you saw the first episode of The Garden Gurus last week, I actually highlighted the work being done by an insectary, a company that's dedicated to breeding insects that are predators of common garden mites like this. So in this particular case, um, it would be a little, um, a, a little mite that uh, sorry, a little thrip that eats the mites or a little mite that eats the thrips. It's a combination of both. So it's a little predatory insect. You want to get your hands on this, you are going to need to go to biological services. These are the guys that do it. We'll get some details and uh, pass it on. Maybe we can get it up on screen for you a bit later on. But you order these online, they send them to you in the mail. It's that easy. Once you've done it, everything starts to um, to balance its way out. You did say that the fairy wrens frequent the hedge, so you don't want to harm them. That's why you'd want to go for a natural solution, like a natural predatory mite, in preference to spraying. Now, Sharon, another one, I'm not quite sure where you're from, but your question's fairly generic. So you've asked about lily pillies and whether their root system is invasive. The challenge you've got is you've planted them over the top of sewage pipes, and they're getting quite large now, and they're going to get a lot larger. And they do have quite vigorous root systems. And if those sewage pipes are ceramic, uh, they'll find a way into those pipes. There is absolutely no, no doubt in my mind. If they're plastic, they may wrap around the pipes and actually break them sooner or later. So um, probably not the news you wanted to hear, but it's never, never wise to plant uh, any sort of plant over the top of pipes, particularly sewage because it's a great source of nutrients. So they try and do everything they can to get into them. Now let's head north to Ipswich in Queensland. Hello, Maz. How are you going? Hello to everybody in Queensland. Which is the best time to dig up turmeric and ginger, please? Well, actually, the best time is when you start to see them yellow off, which is really the peak of winter. So you want to do it just as the foliage. It's really obvious that they're not growing. And in Queensland, there is a chance that they'll just grow all year round. So to be quite honest, that means that probably May, June, is a good idea but look you really want the plants to be very thick and strong and and robust before you worry about this so um hope that helps maz uh kia is in sorrento in victoria beautiful place sorrento how can i beat the brown rot on my apricots please kia i suspect your brown rot very very likely that it's fruit fly i suspect and fruit fly can be treated a number of ways there are there are traps there are baits and you can also spray with something called Spinosad. Now, it's what the professionals have been using and it's an extremely successful way of stopping grubs or fruit fly laying their eggs and the grubs taking off and, and spoiling all of your fruit. But you have to do it when the fruit is small, green and hard and then you have to repeat it about every two weeks. Spinosad is, actually consists of a, a natural bacteria 
and that bacteria will kill those uh, those grubs off before they do any damage. So hopefully that helps Kia because there's nothing better than fresh apricots and there's nothing worse than seeing them get brown rot on them. Janice, we're not sure where you're from, Janice, but you've got a calamondin and uh, suddenly started having brown spots on the older leaves. Now when you touch them, the leaf just falls off. It was fine yesterday, but you've sprayed it with a solution of dishwashing detergent and water to get rid of the bug causing the young leaves to curl. Did I put too much dishwashing detergent on the solution? You should never put dishwashing detergent on any plants. Okay, so uh, this is a detergent, and what it does is it can burn plants quite badly, and I suspect the brown spots you're seeing are burns. Uh, it tends to be high in phosphates, which is not good for plants as well. And the best thing you can do probably right now is never do that again. If you are going to spray to get rid of the leaf curl bug on citrus, and that's what a calamondin is, then you want to use leaf curl spray or white oil or pest oil. Those are the most effective ways to, to get control of that and certainly not to be using detergents. Detergents can be extremely toxic and not good for any sort of plant. So be very careful how you use them. Sorry for the bad news. Sharon's in Perth. How often do I should I spray my cycads with manganese to stop yellowing fronds? And does dolomite help the soil of cycads? Well, Perth is sort of renowned for having two types of soil, one quite alkaline soil, and that's on the ocean side of the Swan River. Uh, and on the hill side of the Swan River and Canning Rivers, uh, it tends to have quite acidic soil. Now, cycads prefer the soil to be acidic, so I'm suggesting that you probably live on the west side of the city. And if that's the case, your goal is to actually acidify the soil. Dolomite's pretty much uh, an alkaline, um, uh, alkaline lime mineral. So my suggestion to you is that you would look at acidifying. So you'd look at something like sulfate of potash, which will help the plant. But the reason the cycads are getting that frizzy effect on them is because it is a lack of manganese, but not just manganese, a whole bunch of trace elements. And this is the trouble with treating things in isolation. If you say, look, it's missing this one thing, sometimes you'll need other chemicals or you'll need soil-borne bacteria that can convert that and make it available to the plant. And this is where you use a really comprehensive fertiliser with a very comprehensive mix of micro and macronutrients. So my recommendation is that you use trace elements and you give it a really good uh, dose of trace elements, probably at double the recommended rate. I would then soak the ground and wash them deep into the soil and that will help get some better results. I hope that helps. Um, Nick, great comment. Thanks very much, mate. Um, Broad-based knowledge of anything horticultural. Love these sessions. Very kind of you. Thanks, mate. Much appreciated. Um, I want to go to my highlight. So I talked about this particular plant before, and you can see it here. And you can see these little berries on it, right? See, there's a, a sort of yellow one there. This, this particular plant, the berries will turn yellow or red, depending on what the species is. Beautiful glossy leaves. And it's a shrub that in my garden is about... Uh, two and a half metres, so it's pretty much the eaves of the house. When you take the berries off, and I'm going to put the berries right up here, and if I was to squeeze the skin, I'll see if you can see it coming out, you end up with this. It's kind of like a bean, and it is. 
That's the coffee bean. And coffee is a great plant to grow at home. So I'm, I'm getting that, show it to you a little bit higher. There we go. So that is the coffee bean right there. And what you do is you harvest them, which is what I'm going to do at home, and you let them dry for a few days. Sun drying is the very best thing to do and probably a week in warm weather and slightly longer in a dry position in cooler weather. And then the most important thing to do is to roast them. So you can do that on a baking tray in a hot oven. It doesn't need to be left for too long. In fact, probably 15 minutes baking at about 220 degrees with a bit of chocolate sprinkled over the top or maybe some hazelnut crushed and sprinkled over the top and you'll get those flavours come through in your coffee and then your coffee beans can be ground and you can make the most fantastic coffee. Grow it at home. It's a great plant. I hope that you uh, you give it a go. It, uh, just to give you a couple more tips, it is full sun. It will grow in shade, so it will do very well under the shade of or the canopy of trees. And uh, the other thing about it is that it does prefer a, a fairly neutral pH, but a soil that's actually quite rich and organic. And uh, the best ones I've ever seen were grown in Africa in Mozambique. And uh, those plants were growing in this rich volcanic soil and producing masses and masses of beans. Now, the one other question you might ask is, okay, I've got uh, two, four, six, seven, I've taken two off. So I've got nine, maybe 10 on that little branch there. How many beans does a coffee plant produce? Well, probably safely at home, we would get something like four kilos or so of coffee beans. And after you've roasted them, you've probably got yourself maybe 20 cups of coffee from a mature plant. It's probably the hard way to do it, but my goodness, the coffee tastes fantastic. You'll never get fresher. I hope that's a bit of inspiration on an edible that you can grow at home. I've got another one I'll show you a bit later on. We'll keep answering questions. Um, okay, okay, okay. Could you Oh, Anthony would like us to know, can I explain pocket uh, rocket pots? Uh, yeah, rocket pots, are they've basically got big air bases on the bottom of them and they're designed to, as the roots hit these holes through the base of them, they'll air prune. So they'll literally stop the roots from going down into water or into soil and continuing to spread and anchoring the plant. Now, the idea of this is to actually make sure that the roots do remain actually in them. And more often than not, rocket pots are actually used in hydroponics. So um, this style of pot is very good because you can use a, a flood system where the water floods in, it's soaked up uh, into the pot um, through a capillary action. Uh, the water then floods out the tray and then it sits dry for maybe the rest of the day. And you might flood the, the tray twice, recycling the water. It's a very cost-effective way, very water-wise way to grow plants. So Hopefully that helps. Anthony, if you've got any more questions, let us know. And also let us know where you're from. Julie did that. She's in Melbourne and she's in Eltham. She's struggling to get a camellias to flower at all. Now, you've planted them across the front of your house. Get They get early morning sun only and they're looking green, but certainly not lush and no flowers. They've been in for about five years, so they should be flowering. And it's more likely that, that they're probably getting a bit too much nitrogen producing growth but not producing flower. So again, go back to that flower stimulant and if you should look for something, my recommendation would be that you would actually go for something like sulfate of potash. It's a flower stimulant or there are some specialised flower promoting fertilisers, particularly the liquids that you water over the foliage and the results that they will deliver should be good flowers. Now is the absolute latest time to do this. And if you're going to do the liquid, 
you apply weekly for the next six weeks. If you're going to do the sulfate of potash, you can actually apply it into the watering can and water over the foliage, but you should also put it in around the base of the soil and wash it into the soil. Make sure it's down in amongst those roots. The roots on camellias tend to be quite sort of shallow and near the surface. So you will get a a reaction and you should start to get some bud form probably a little bit later in the season than you normally would. But look, you know, camellias, you're going to have sasanquas coming into flower probably from May and then your japonicas will come through June, July, August. And then after that, you've got your reticulatas, which are a lot later, uh, but tend to produce really huge flowers. So hopefully that helps you with that little problem, Julie, in Eltham in Melbourne. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail-order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Manon is in Melbourne too, and he's growing hops in pots. It's become the big trend. There's so many people brewing their own beers at home. So grow, why not grow your own hops? And hops is a climbing plant. Tends to be a cool climate plant, so they do love the cooler climate. Don't like extreme heat. So far, you're saying you've been relatively successful. Hops are starting to die back for the season, and they are a deciduous vine. Everything's doing okay. What should you do with the rhizomes in the pots? Just leave them, and how do you get nutrients in there for next season? Okay, so they're going dormant, so they don't need feeding now. They need feeding in August, probably September is ideal, with a controlled release fertiliser. Really important, it's a steady feed. Um, anything that you're doing now, basically as the plant dies back, it's taking all the goodness down into the, into the rhizomes. And the last thing you want to do is move these rhizomes. It's a lot better to let them get really established and a really comprehensive root system. Next year, you'll actually sh you should see hop formation. So you should actually start getting hops on your plant. And then the year after, even stronger again. So very fast-growing climber, interesting plant, and uh, probably a little bit different to my coffee plant with the final outcome. Let's go to Beachborough in WA. We've come back over here. Conostylus candicans is a really beautiful West Australian ground cover native. It's a kind of a strappy leaf plant and you want to know whether you can cut the spent flowers. They produce these beautiful pom-pom yellow flowers. Um, yes, you can definitely. You know you can do that. But can you cut the whole plant close to the ground? Well, look, I reckon my mates at uh, Plant Right, which is one of the country's leading uh, native plant growers would probably tell you, yes, you could get away with it. My recommendation is that every time I've seen it done, it's a bit hit and miss. Sometimes they can die back. I would cut back anything that's dead, but definitely leave the healthy growth to continue growing. And if you're going to do it, I would be doing it. Well, it's been really cool and moist in Perth. I'm suggesting probably April, May. It's looking like we're going to have an early winter and quite a cool autumn with a lot of rain, which uh, is fantastic weather for these types of plants to grow. In fact, I noticed in one of the gardens that we look after today that all the everlasting seedlings have actually germinated, the wild ones, and they're already that tall, which is unheard of. I can't quite recall ever seeing something like that. So crazy. Now, Grace is in the Mid Mountains in New South Wales. She's got a banana passion fruit planted about 18 months ago. Over summer, it went nuts and had many flowers, yet no fruit. And it's now not looking happy as all the leaves have gone dry. Okay, now the dry leaves is caused by thrip, or no, it's more often than not, actually, you'll find this time of the year it's red spider mite. And it's been planted in a shallow garden. Do I have any thoughts? Absolutely do. 
my advice for you is that the banana passion fruit loves cooler weather when it comes to setting fruit. So high humidity, cooler conditions, and those beautiful pink flowers. Just to, just to explain to people, they have these magnificent pink flowers that are bright pink, huge, and they grow these big flat petals off them and hang down in the thousands on a mature plant. They do like, they are a deep-rooted plant, so they do like a bit of a deeper root system, but it's not the end of the world. I think that this would actually be okay. My suggestion to you is be patient. I think you'll find fruit will start to form. And the reason it gets the name banana passion fruit is not so much that the fruit tastes like bananas, but it's yellow and oblong. And um, so it's sort of a little bit, little bit like a banana coming from a passion fruit plant. It is a standalone species of passion fruit too. So it's um, Passiflora melissima. So this is one that is completely unique. Uh, fruit is quite nice to eat a little bit on the bitter side but or tart side not bitter um but makes the most wonderful uh, uh desserts and preserves and yeah it's a great plant to grow so be patient grace at least you're getting flowers but you'll find it'll improve as things go along now remember we are actually simulcasting through our youtube channel as well and Gary is in Perth and he's come through the YouTube channel. He'd like to know how to get rid of grasshoppers. They're destroying his plants and he can't catch them. They're too fast for him. Well, Gary, the good news is you can get baits, bram baits. Um, they're called David Gray's bram baits. You'll find them in good retailers everywhere. Independent garden centres tend to carry them, as does the big, the big hardware retailers like Bunnings. Um, we are going to go to a promo right now for the Garden Gurus. It's our second episode coming up. This Saturday at 4.30pm, Nev's got a great range of vegetables. We've got this great clip to show you. I hope you enjoy. This is Swan Valley Nursery's red okra. It's a vegetable, but it's a very ornamental vegetable. So you can grow this out in the garden. It has beautiful red hibiscus-like flowers. And then when it crops, it produces a long finger, sometimes called lady's finger, and they're best harvested about that long before they get hard and woody. Really tasty, something unusual, and it's excellent, of course, also in stews and curries where it adds a bit of thickness. So for more tasty gardening ideas, tune in on Saturday to the Garden Gurus. And if you followed us over the years, you'll, of course, it'll be quite refreshing to see Nev back on the show. He's been back with us for a couple of seasons. But, of course, you'll know that he started the Garden Gurus with me back in 2002. And uh, it's pretty hard to find somebody with that level of knowledge. He's a very, very smart man. It's an absolute pleasure to have him back on the show. Now, I'm going to keep answering your questions, so keep sending them in. We are only here for an hour, so we've done pretty well in the first 22 minutes. Let's belt through as many as we can over the hour, and uh, I'll come up with a plant highlight in about four or so. Now, Christine is from Perth. The weather ha that we've had in Perth over the last week has really benefited the garden. Uh, she says hers is looking uh, a lot better than it was, hoping that your sick rose will pick up. And it appears that your native frangipani is showing some sign of improvement. Thanks for the advice. Now, that's right. I did mention that a couple of weeks ago. Frangip native frangipanis actually do like it a little bit cooler too. So a bit of natural rainfall, a little bit of uh, milder weather is probably doing them the world of good. I've noticed um, I've got one at home. It's almost indestructible. I keep actually cutting it back. It's in the wrong spot. And somehow or other it sends up new suckers and keeps growing. It is incredibly hardy. 
funny how when you treat them mean, they suddenly uh, do really well. Christine, it's great to have you back with us again this week. Now, David's also in Perth. He wants to know where he can buy plants online in Perth. Well, I, I'm pretty sure that David would know because he seems to me like he's a pretty wise guy. But uh, there is a, a, a fantastic website. We might try and share that with you. Uh, Native is the uh, is the online Perth native plant website. I would suggest that you check that out. Do a bit of a Google, N-A-T-I-V. Really, really good range of West Australian natives. So, and if you're in another state, which there's so many people, I know Jeanette's in the Gold Coast, my next question, but if you're in another state and you want to try some West Aussie natives, some of the beautiful wildflowers that you get from this part of the world, I'm pretty sure that you'll find that native will send them all over the country as well. So it's well worthwhile looking into. Jeanette's on the Gold Coast. Hello, Jeanette. Uh, you've got a huge jacaranda tree on your fence line and it's been cut out, unfortunately, and removed. The roots were travelling under the slab of a neighbour's house and they can do that. How can I kill the roots and the stump to prevent further damage? Well, pretty much by cutting it back, I suspect that the tree will probably die. Big, mature jacarandas don't like being cut back down to ground level and rarely do they sucker up. If they do... My recommendation is you just pull the suckers away as they start to appear and eventually the tree will die. It's better than sort of pouring poison over it. Some people pour kerosene or diesel or even just old sump oil over them and that will set them back and they will slowly rot away. And those roots, that's the only way to do it, is to let them naturally rot and let the soil recompact itself underneath the house slab. You don't want to be causing them to die suddenly, rot and drop because that could actually cause cracks in your walls. So my advice is uh, is let Mother Nature do it her own way and don't go putting too much into it uh, from that point of view. Manon is in Melbourne. Hello, Manon. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Something's eating the new growth on the top of your hardened birgia. I think it's possums. It's all been trimmed neatly along the top of your fence. What can you do to deter them? New growth will be a prime source of food for possums, but there are also some insects at the moment that are pretty busy, as are parrots, and parrots love that new growth as well. So it could be any one of those three things. Um, as far as insects go, well, that's a spray and and my recommendation is if you can't see them, then don't do anything about it. As far as parrots and possums go, we'll get the hose out on a dry day, wet down the top of the plant and dust it with white pepper. Now, they do find it, you, you will hear possums sneezing once they get close. They don't like it at all and it will deter them. They tend to have short memories, so you might need to do it once a week for the next couple of months, but after a while they just decide that it's not a food source for them. They tend to go away. Consuelo in Sydney has written in to us, what's the best time to prune wisteria? Well, I've just given mine a bit of a shape over, um, I've got an arbor over the entrance to the stairs to my house and I've pruned that back, just shaping it. That's all I've done. You don't want to take too much off this time of the year because very soon the flower buds will be setting for the spring. So you're probably best now to let that plant, just trim it lightly on the outside, taking any of the the really new sort of wispy sort of growth away, but not cut it back hard unless you want to impact the flower display come springtime. I hope that helps, Consuelo. Now, Rob, we're not sure where you are from, but you said you've got clay-type soil on your block. Would crushed chip rock add to soil improve it? Absolutely not. Definitely do not do that, Rob. It's a very, very alkaline 
additive and it will cause all sorts of problems for your plants. Now, there is something that I'm about to, to release on the show. In fact, it'll be next week, Shave. But I'm going to show it to you right now because you guys, well, you make it all happen. This is a little jar of something called Biogenic Amorphic Silica, and you can see it there, and this is the product. It's called Mineral Magic. Now, this is an ancient fossilised plankton. It is amazing what it does. It's absolutely incredible, highly absorbent, adds, it's highly porous, so it adds air into the soil when it's mixed into the soil, and particularly in, in clay soils, whilst it has the ability to charge, to suck up moisture and also nutrients, and hold them in around the plant's roots, it can also discharge. So when it discharges, you'll find it sort of opens the soil up and makes it friable. So this might be something you need to get your hands on. We're still probably two to three weeks away from it being available through garden centres, but it's on its way. It's called Mineral Magic. And I won't tell you again, but, well, I will tell you again, it's Biogenic Amorphic Silica, which is an ancient fossilised rock mineral that's extremely rare, 125 million years in the making. Now, let's go to New South Wales, Albion Park. Kerry, hello, how are you? Is the climate where I am okay for growing clematis? Uh, the answer is yes, you can grow clematis there and they should do pretty well. Some clematis varieties tend to tend to like it cooler and clematis is a deciduous vine. But to be quite honest, um, we grow clematis really quite well here in Perth. So if we can grow it in Perth, you can grow it in New South Wales and Albion Park. So that should answer that question. Margot's in Perth. Hi, Margot. How are you? Your lime tree looks like it's getting very veiny. Is this normal or is it missing something? It is absolutely missing something. It's missing trace elements and probably a few of the key ones. Magnesium, but predominantly iron, I suspect. When you see the, the dark veins and the leaves go light green, classic iron deficiency symptoms. And uh, the way to fix that is to add some lime, uh, some iron into the soil. Definitely don't add lime, actually. Make sure you're acidifying your soil. This tends to occur quite commonly in alkaline soils. So if you need to adjust your pH, it's adding acidic things into the soil, things like pine needles if you want to do it organically, or alternatively, you can use some acidic mineral things like sulfate of potash is a good example, or even sulfur. You know, garden sulfur can be dug into the soil and it will very quickly acidify the soil and help rectify any deficiencies. But iron is the key. Now, you can, you can apply iron as iron sulfate, or alternatively is iron chelate, which is very, very fast acting. This podcast is brought to you by Still and Evergreen Garden Care. Still is Australia's most trusted brand of garden power tools, backed by 95 years of German engineering excellence. To get your hands on their range, visit your local Still dealer today or visit still.com.au. Now, before I go to one of my favourite people, Tala from Aberdeen in New South Wales, I wanted to show you this. Speaking of Aberdeen in New South Wales, it was the, the central coast of New South Wales where I first came across this plant, and it is an Australian native. It's got a little bit droopy. I just broke this off this morning, and you can kind of see it's got a like some little flowers here too. Now, the flowers are pretty much irrelevant. They're really not that special. But the foliage is super special. And what makes it so special is it's a very rich source of citrus oils. So this is the lemon myrtle. It's a, a terrific plant. And these leaves are so citrusy. Now, it's very upright. It's a very beautiful shrub as well. So it can be shaped. It can be 
you can do all sorts of things. It does really well as toperies. But when you take these these leaves and you dry them and crush them and pop them into cakes or biscuit making or use them wrapped around fish, you get this amazing citrus fragrance and flavor coming through it. So one of my favorites, it is absolutely beautiful, an Aussie native. This is the lemon myrtle and uh, grows very well in my garden here in Perth. So it's going to grow in a large portion of gardens right across Australia, right from Tassie all the way up to probably Brisbane quite successfully. I'm not sure about any further north. If anybody is further north of Brisbane or maybe you're in Darwin or even northern Western Australia, let me know what you uh, whether you're growing this one at home. It's a, it's a really beautiful. I just love the fresh citrus. It's, it's such a strong citrus fragrance. Very, very invigorating. Now, Tella, hello. It's great to uh, have you again with us this week. Now, your ponytail plant is growing fantastically in your lounge room, but it's got fluff on each of the new growth. Is this mealybug and how do I get rid of it organically? Tella, it is absolutely mealybug. I'm very sure it is. And uh, you've done well to have it uh, growing in your uh, in your lounge room. Generally, uh, ponytails do like it to be in full sun. But the thing with the fluff and, and that, that fluff being pony, uh, being mealybug on your ponytail is that it's only one treatment really in this situation that you want to go to, and that is to drench the foliage with white oil or pest oil or one of those eco oils. Now, to do that, you want to take it outside and mix up your pest oil in a watering can, really thoroughly incorporate it through and then drench the plant and leave it out overnight. In the morning, bring it back in, and then a week later, do it again. Then literally a week after that, do it the third time, and you should break the cycle, and most of the mealybugs should disappear. It's a pretty big problem, and um, if you let it stay there, mealybug spreads, and it causes all sorts of problems. Going a little bit further north than Aberdeen and New South Wales, we're going up to Brisbane. Sandra has asked, what is the best fertilizer for rosella plants? Now the seed pods have appeared. Okay, so rosella is um, is an edible hibiscus. That's the only way to describe it. The seed pods, well, um, you really probably at this point, if you've got seed pods, you don't want to be feeding it. This is a plant that is annual in nature, so it will die off at the peak of winter. Uh, but now that you've got seed pods forming, uh, really what you would normally do is pick the flower buds and, and eat those. But once you've got seed pods formed, you really want to collect the seeds so that you can plant plants out again next year so or next next spring, ideally. So um, I wouldn't be feeding it at all. I would let all the goodness be uh, put into those seeds and let it do its own thing. Let's head down to Victoria. Judy is in Bendigo. Hello, Judy. Just wondering when it's if it's okay to transplant bearded iris. In fact, now is the time. Uh, so that's your question, I think, is yes, this is the best time to do it, I tend to think. Um, so transplant them, feel free to do it because you've got good soil moisture now. Uh, you shouldn't have too many more hot days and they will transplant really well. Okay, we're going to stay in Victoria. We're going to go to Melbourne and George has asked a great question. This is great. Thank you so much for joining us. It's lovely to have you all with us and it's great to have some friends in, uh, in Victoria joining us today. You've got a dwarf lemon in a large pot and it's lost most of its leaves. Now, it has 10 golf ball-sized green lemons which have failed to ripen. They will ripen. Don't worry about that. But the foliage falling off is a classic indication of the plant running out of nutrients. So when I talk about fertilisers, I talk about controlled-release fertilisers most of the time. 
it's really important you check that they've got a very good trace element mix on the side because citrus are what we call gross feeders. They require lots of nutrient during the growing season and they need lots of micronutrients. So a lot of those trace elements like iron, manganese, magnesium, boron, they are all very important. Uh, zinc is another one, incredibly important in small quantities. So in a well-blended fertilizer, you will find all of those key trace elements and they will be the difference between the plant holding its foliage and the fruit forming and getting to a large size and it not. So I hope that helps George. It's the fertilizer and now is the time to get in and give it a good feed. This show is brought to you by the Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Now, uh, we've got Sam. We're not sure where you're from, Sam, but you've come in via YouTube. What is my best lawn grub treatment? Well, to be quite honest, um, I'm not a big fan of treating lawn grub uh, really with anything, but if you had to, I would suggest Bathroid would be what you use. In all the years that I've had, um, had my own home, and it's probably 25, 30 years now, I have never had to treat my lawn for lawn grub. I've had lawn grub and I've had the odd patch come up, but it's never been that bad that I needed to do it. And one of the things I'm very reticent in doing is spraying chemicals because the first thing the grub will do is come to the surface. And when they do that, willy wagtails and things like um, kookaburras or magpies will come and they'll eat them. And then they ingest them and it's not good. So be very careful is what I'm saying. Um, there are lots of ways you can get around it and certainly soaking the soil to make sure that it really is a bad grub infestation before you apply any chemical is a really good idea. I hope that helps. Christina's in Collie. Hello, Christina. I hope you're well. Thanks for joining us. What's the best mix for a terrarium? Best mix for a terrarium really gets down to what you're growing in the terrarium. So some people grow succulents and even cacti. And if you're doing that, you need to have a sandy soil. So something with sand and German peat moss as a mixture is a good way to go. Um, so cactus mix, so you can get those actually pre-mixed in bags. Or if you've got indoor plants, it actually goes the other way. So you want something that's got uh, something like spag a combination of sphagnum and, uh, and the good old um, cocoa peat. Now, you can get a mixture from uh, the guys at Scott's. So their Osmocote Indoor Potting Mix is fabulous, and that's the primary base to that. So I would suggest you do that. It doesn't have any bark in it, and one of the reasons you don't want bark in any of your potting mixes, which most of the potting mixes have bark, but when you want to use a, a potting mix indoors, you don't want bark in it because that's when you get those fungus gnats, those little flies that suddenly appear and they're flying around. That's because of the potting mix you're using. So try and go for that Osmocote indoor potting mix. I hope that helps. Christina, thanks for joining us. We go to Campbelltown in New South Wales. Hi, Ash. Do I, do I dig up my dahlia tubers every year? This is a really good question. So I did, I do in my garden. Um, but I don't know whether I really have to. So I've got a pretty good free-draining soil at most of my garden. Where it's not, 
I definitely dig them up because they can get rots during the winter. If your soil's free draining and quite open and airy, I would suggest that you probably leave them in. If your soil um, is quite heavy, dig them up, pop them in a tray, put them in uh, a dark, cool spot, ideally aerated, well aerated, because they can get fungus in there too. Hopefully that helps ash, but look, you shouldn't be worrying about that just at the moment. You should be getting lots of beautiful flowers. I know I am at home. Sharon is in Western Queensland. Hello, Sharon. Your buddleia, uh, so those people who don't know what a buddleia is, uh, it's often known as the butterfly bush, has leaves turning yellow and brown, almost like it's burnt and dehydrated, but it's, and it's only a handful of leaves that you're seeing this. I suspect this is either old leaves or new leaves. If it's new leaves, the plant's been through some stress. If it's old leaves, it's about to go through a very natural shedding process and push out some new growth. So either way, the only thing that I could suggest you consider doing at the moment would be to add a fertiliser to the soil. And this is a great time of the year to feed your plants. So you can't go wrong if you get out, you know, those beautiful Osmocote fertilisers, they're very well balanced and they're ideal for, for taking care of something like a buddleia. Now's the time to give it a good feed. Denise is in Brisbane. Uh, I've just found black bugs on my eggplant leaves. Uh, it's too dark to photograph at the moment. Fair enough. Will so soapy spray will work? Yes, um, and that's probably one of the better options. I would suggest you you go to try and avoid poisons, particularly on stuff that you're going to eat. Um, there is uh, I just talked about that amorphic silica, but there is a dust you can get actually from the amorphic silica. That dust is highly effective in controlling a lot of bugs in gardens, particularly caterpillars and also beetles. Uh, it's also a great deterrent for ants. So. Um, we'll talk about that a bit further down the line as, as that becomes uh, probably one of those products that I think is going to transform the way we garden here in Australia. So uh, hopefully that helps. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made wolf garden tools. You'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Guru's Facebook page. Maz is in Ipswich in Queensland. Hello, Maz. Um, great to have you join us again. Um, just wondering whether you can still grow tomatoes. Now, in Ipswich, I would suggest it's probably possible, but possibly getting a bit too late. They, they'll grow. It's not about them growing. It's about them fruiting. And a lot of tomatoes uh, do best when the daylight hours are getting longer. But right now, as we're going into winter, our daylight hours are getting shorter. So it tends to mean that the plants will grow. They might flower, but they might not produce a lot of fruit, or that fruit may stay green as we move into winter for a bit too long. So unless you're in a glasshouse environment, um, you might struggle a little bit mass. But if you've got a glasshouse or a plastic house, you'll find they'll grow pretty well. I hope that helps. Uh, Marie's in Hobart. Great to have somebody from Tassie joining us. Hello, Marie. You made a mistake and planted a huge roadie, so it's a rhododendron, near your proteas. Now the, soil, now the soil's going hyper. You want to feed the soil, but wondering, because they're so close to each other, are you going to kill the proteas if I put roadie food in the soil? I see what you're saying. So proteas do not like pea, so they don't like phosphorus. If you put a general fertiliser near them, um, you're going to probably end up with a problem. Yes, they will start to they'll probably start to die back, to be quite honest. But you can use a native plant, and, and Osmocote's a good example of uh, Osmocote for natives, uh, very low P and does a great job in stimulating good growth. 
and it won't hurt the roadies. So if this is a big roadie and it's growing really well, rhododendron, uh, you'll find that it's going to produce flowers anyway, so you can't go wrong. So just move to the native plant fertiliser. I think you should be fine. I hope that helps, Marie. Uh, Rob's in Rockhampton in Queensland. We've got a lot of questions coming through from Queensland. This is fantastic. I really appreciate you all writing in. You should make sure you keep sending us your questions. We're here to help. That's what we're all about. Um, my father-in-law's got a pawpaw seedlings and uh, one day came out to check on them and they were all eaten. Now, nothing else has been eaten around them. Is there a bug that pawpaws are particularly susceptible to? Well, the answer is when they're a little seedling, they're quite succulent and juicy and particularly uh, slugs and snails, which are active generally at night, they will go straight to them and they'll just eat them off at ground level. And what I suspect is that that's exactly what's happened. Now, you probably want to make sure that you, um, you come out at night. So what I would do is just on dusk, I would water the area. I would then come out about an hour later with a torch and have a look and count the number of slugs and grubs. I bet you've got a heap because that's a very common problem. Now, we've only got a few more questions left to go, but please, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you hit the like button and let everybody know. We really appreciate your support with that. Margaret, you haven't told us where you're from, and it really, in this particular instance, makes a big difference to the answer I give you, and I'm not quite sure how to answer this best, but I'll give you a couple of options. You've asked, you you want to repot your maple tree. What's the best time of the year to do it? Well, repotting them, if you're in Perth, now is not the time to do it. If you're in Brisbane, now is not the time to do it. Another month or so and you can do it, um, but really the spring's the time to be repotting uh, maples and uh, that's the ideal scenario. But if you're in Victoria, you could do it right now. You could actually do it straight away in Tassie change them over right now and you'd still get a little bit of growth as well. Remember, maples love a rich organic soil. It's really important. So make sure you've got that. And uh, I hope that helps, Margaret. Let, let us know where you are from next time. That does help too. Melinda is in Queensland. After I bought a peat, after I bought peat core, um, it's interesting. I think, I think what you're telling me is that you've bought um, cocoa peat to add to outdoor potting mix to help keep the moisture in. I reckon that's what you've done. Now, you read it was acidic, so you've added a handful of dolomite to the pot. Will this be okay? Well, generally, cocoa peat is inert, so it tends to be quite neutral. There is a bit of a risk with cocoa peat because it's made from the husk of the of the actual coconut. It goes through a grinding process, and those coconuts will grow in, in very um, alkaline soils or in very... Um, salty locations which coconuts tend to grow in you can end up having a high level of salt or they can be slightly alkaline very unusual for them to be acidic now adding um adding dolomite is only going to accentuate the alkalinity so i'm not sure you're doing yourself a lot of favors here um but in saying that if you're mixing that with potting mix it'll probably all work out the best thing you can do of course is mix it get yourself a ph testing kit or even take a sample of your soil into your local garden center most garden centers offer free ph testing i hope that helps melinda in queensland dennis we don't know where you're from you've got a problem with morning glory in the backyard it's out of control and it's taken over everything. Now, this is a significant weed of consequence, this one, and you're saying you're overwhelmed by it. And unfortunately, 
that's what happens. It can really go. You've pulled it out a few times, which takes three or four hours of hard work, but before you know it, it's back with a vengeance. Is there a poison you can use to get rid of it for once and for all? Well, look, uh, not necessarily the most popular choice, but certainly glyphosate is going to do the job. That's found in the form of Roundup or Zero. You do have to be careful with anything you use to kill anything because these poisons can be highly toxic and it's something that you want to be really cautious with with whatever you spray there are also some uh some very there's a very very strong spray uh called blackberry um blackberry and tree killer i think it's sold as and you can mix that with kerosene and then spray that over the new shoots or over the ones that are sticking out after you've cut the plant back and it will go back down and kill the roots off. But you're going to find you'll still get some re-emergence and you might need to do it another time. You might even need to do it a third time. Well, how's that? We went through quite a lot of questions, quite a short period of time. I hope you've enjoyed today's live feed, but it's all coming to an end. I hope, hope you guys have had most of your garden questions answered. But remember, you can always ask us on our Garden Guru's Facebook page. Garden Guru's Facebook Live returns this Monday. So... The end of the weekend, Monday, join us, 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Daylight Time. Of course, that is 9 a.m. Western Standard Time and check your and check your local uh, times with, uh, with regards to other states. We've got some great guests coming in on Monday and uh, you'll really be quite fascinated with some of the stories. They're really, um, they've really got some really cool ideas to share with you, which is what this program's all about. Now, producer today, Lachlan, is going to reach out to this week's winners of those fabulous Mr. Fothergill seats, and um, he'll make sure that we check your messages. To, so, sorry, you should check to make sure you see whether you've won those packet seeds. They'll be in your messages. And if you do want to ask a few more questions, don't hesitate. Keep sending them through. We'll try and answer them for you on Monday. The Garden Gurus TV series is back on nine at the moment. The autumn series is uh, in its in its uh, second week. I think we're uh, week two, and uh, it's on at four thirty Saturday afternoons right across the country. You don't want to miss it. And remember, you can always, if you want to ask a question, if you want some great references, check out our website. Always a really good reference. You can also go to our YouTube channel. There's lots of different sources of information, including uh, you can listen back to today's live stream, and that's a good way to do it as well. So you can do it via Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Podbean. Those are the three um, podcasters for us. And we will see you again on Monday at 12 o'clock Australian Eastern Standard Daylight Time. Happy gardening, everybody. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much for joining us. The Garden Gurus is back with a brand new season this weekend. Make sure to check out your local TV guide for your times. I got my home, I got my break, and I'm ready to go. Beep.